It is right, therefore, that you should be the first to learn also of Asha, Hesia, and Spirit of the Mountain. The priestess of that oracle, which, since the time of Alexander the Great, has reigned between the flaming pillars in the sanctuary, the last holder of the scepter of Hes or Isis upon the earth. It is right also that, to you, first among men, I should travel the mystic consummation of the wondrous tragedy which began at Kor, or perchance far earlier in Egypt and elsewhere. I am very ill. I have struggled back to this old house of mine to die, and my end is at hand. I have asked the doctor here, after all is over, to send you the record, that is, unless I change my mind and burn it first. You will also receive, if you receive anything at all, a case containing several rough sketches, which may be of use to you, and a sistrum, the instrument that has been always used in the worship of the nature goddess of the old Egyptians, Isis and Hathor, which you will see is as beautiful as it is ancient. I give it to you for two reasons. As a token of my gratitude and regard, and as the only piece of evidence that is left to me of the literal truth of what I have written in the accompanying manuscript where you will find it often mentioned. Perhaps also you will value it as a souvenir of, I suppose, the strangest and loveliest being whoever was, or rather is. It was her scepter, the rod of her power, and with it I saw her salute the shadows in the sanctuary and her gift to me. It has virtues also. Some part of Asher's might yet haunts the symbol, to which even spirits bowed. But if you should discover them, beware how they are used. I have neither the strength nor the will to write more. The record must speak for itself. Do with it what you like, and believe it or not as you like. I care nothing who know that it is true. Who and what was Asha? Nay, what is Asha? An incarnate essence? the materialized spirit of nature, the unforeseeing, the lovely, the cruel, and the immortal, ensouled alone, redeemable only by humanity and its piteous sacrifice? Say you, I have done with speculations who depart to solve these mysteries. I wish you happiness and good fortune. Farewell to you and to all. L. Horace Holly. I laid the letter down, and filled with sensations that it is useless to attempt to analyze or describe, opened the second envelope, of which I also print the contents, omitting only certain irrelevant portions and the name of the writer, as it will be noted he requests me to do. This epistle, that was dated from a remote place upon the shores of Cumberland, ran as follows. Dear Sir, as the doctor who attended Mr. Holly in his last illness, I am obliged, in obedience to a promise that I made to him, to become an intermediary in a somewhat strange business, although in truth it is one of which I know very little, however much it may have interested me. Still, I do so only on the strict understanding that no mention is to be made of my name in connection with the matter or of the locality in which I practice. About ten days ago, 
I was called in to see Mr. Holly at an old house upon the cliff that for many years remained untenanted except by the caretakers, which house was his property and had been in his family for generations. The housekeeper who summoned me told me that her master had but just returned from abroad, somewhere in Asia, she said, and that he was very ill with his heart, dying, she believed, both of which suppositions proved to be accurate. I found the patient sitting up in the bed to ease his heart, and a strange-looking old man he was. He had dark eyes, small but full of fire and intelligence, a magnificent and snowy white beard that covered a chest of extraordinary breadth, and hair also white, which encroached upon his forehead and face so much that it met the whiskers upon his cheeks. His arms were remarkable for their length and strength, though one of